Are you ready to head down the path to an abundant retirement? We're tackling the topics of the mind of the modern retiree. Here on Navigating an Abundant Retirement Radio. And now your host, Carol Dewey. Welcome back to Navigating an Abundant Retirement Radio. I am your host, Carol Dewey, and this week we're going to address the debt ceiling, upcoming deadlines, and investment insights moving forward. I have to admit this is not my favorite subject and not something I'm excited to talk to you about. It's not what I would consider a long-term investment thesis that you can build around, but it is a subject that I feel like I need to address because it's obviously very prevalent in the news today. And I want to just give you the issues and the things that our team is looking at from our side and try to give you a little bit better understanding and then just a thought process on what we would be doing and looking at as we move forward here. So with that said, let's get going. I'll first start with what is the debt ceiling and what's going on. Just to provide a quick recap here, obviously when spending is greater than revenue, just like anybody else, you run into a deficit. The government funds debt to fund that deficit, if you will, and they have to issue debt. So on January 19, the U.S. hit their debt limit of $31.4 trillion, which again is unfathomable, right? And nobody understands what $31.4 trillion really looks like. It's an insane number of zeros. Even maybe the politicians don't understand it fully. But again, once you hit that debt limit, basically what happens is Congress has to approve a raised limit. And that's what we're going through right now is the debt ceiling debate. Because Congress wants some actions taken as a result of approving that. And the presidential side is having conflict with regard to putting that together. So even as I'm speaking right now, they're talking about those kinds of things. How do we resolve this? How do we compromise? How do we get this resolved for the future going forward, if you will? So we have a June 1 deadline date. That is not by any means set in stone. It's just not. You know, it is a proposed date that Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, has talked about with regard to the potential default area. There's still a lot of things they can do in that interim time to delay or extend it. And a lot of what you're going to hear today is talking about extending those kind of things. But, you know, the big thing I have listed in here in green for you is that the U.S. has never defaulted on its debt. And that's why people are paying a lot of attention to this right now. It is a possibility, but one of many possibilities. But it certainly is a possibility that if they don't agree to the things we need to do, we could default on our debt. So we're going to have a conversation about what all this means here going forward. And I'm going to start by talking about what makes up the budget and what are we looking at here? That $34 trillion, it boils down to three different categories. We have mandatory expenses, discretionary expenses, and we have interest payments. Well, mandatory is about 63% of the overall debt. Things like Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. Do you think anybody wants to forgo their Social Security check? No, those are the kinds of mandatory buckets, and it's hard-pressed to see that particular debt changing or that budget changing. Then you have interest payments, making up only about 6%. We have a lot of debt out there, $34 trillion, and we have to pay interest on that. And that covers about 6% of our overall budget, and that's actually ranged from 2% to 12% over the last couple of decades. So 6% is kind of right in the middle. 
But with the rates going higher, interest rates over time, I think that could go a little bit higher as we reset our low debt to higher debt. So we've got to keep an eye on that as well. The one area I think that politicians can actually kind of agree on is that people need to focus on the discretionary bucket. And the big item here is the Department of Defense. That's about 50% of that overall budget. So when you start hearing people talking about what do we do for the budget, I think that that could be an area where they start focusing on. If you can see the slide I'm referencing, you'll, you're looking at different sized buzz, bubbles for each category. The biggest bubbles are the things people don't necessarily want to touch, which is Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, these kinds of things. Once you get past that and once you get past defense spending, you're really talking about some small bubbles. And so they just don't have the impact that the other things in that regard would have. So that's the issue they're dealing with right now. It's not an easy solution to say, what do we take out of this? Because everybody has a certain stake in something within those bubbles. You know, a question we're always asked all the time is, hey, who owns this debt? And is there a concern with regard to them putting us into default to cover that? 60% of the debt is actually owned by investors like us whether it's insurance companies and mutual funds. Foreign countries also own our debt as well. That's kind of what people are concerned about. We get a lot of questions on what if China says they don't want to refinance our debt with us. Well, China's got about $160 billion, which is a big number, but out of $34 trillion, that's only 2.5%. Just to keep that in perspective, foreign governments own a total of about $7.3 trillion of our $34 trillion debt, so that's about 22%. But the other 80%, that's all U.S. debt, such as Social Security and investing, military pensions, things like that. So again, we control basically trading with each other the debt. So 80% us, 20% outside in China, which again is only about 2.5%. The biggest one is actually Japan. That kind of surprises some people. There are some friendly names on the list as well, like Belgium, Canada, Switzerland. So it isn't like we're lending to people that don't really like us. Our team is very satisfied with where the debt is right now. At the end of the day, keep in mind 80-20. 80% is owned by U.S., whether it's companies, retirement plans, or individual investors. A lot of our debt is owned by its own U.S. citizens. And even the stuff outside is a little bit more diversified than you would think as well. Circling back to China, certainly they do own about 2.5% of the debt. And if they wanted to make an issue out of it, it would be painful. However, there is a push-pull in that argument as well in the effect that we buy a lot of goods and services from China. If that's the case and they start doing things, maybe we have actions that counter that and it wouldn't be good for either party. That's why our general stance is that we don't think that there's a massive issue with regard to China holding just 2.5% of our debt. The one thing I want to talk about here is just the U.S. debt as part of the overall administration pie, because a lot of this can fall into the political, right? It falls into the realm of political rather than 
the fundamental or business oriented. And the real tying bind of all of this is that the debt ceiling is going up no matter if it was red or blue administration. If you look, if you just look at the chart I'm referencing, it really reflects that the debt has consistently increased regardless of the administration. Nobody has come in and said, first thing I'm going to do is lower the debt. And what they say and actually do can be quite a bit different. So you can see since 1960, they've adjusted the debt ceiling 78 times. Now, the worrying statistic here is that it's tripled since 2009. Obviously, we're taking on more and more debt. We need things that resolve this. But what usually happens is they tend to wait until these types of times when they're forced to have these conversations. They tend to be much more emergency focused rather than long term. How do we fix this problem in the long term? And so these types of debt ceiling concerns tend to be discussed when our hair is on fire rather than a real trajectory of plan, if you will. And so we'll continue to watch this. But I mean, really, from our perspective, we expect this trend to continue going forward over long periods of time. There's more and more debt that will be issued. But also on the other side of that is there's more and more gross domestic product or just general growth of the U.S. economy. So you need to think of things in both of those perspectives. And how much debt is healthy is dependent on how well we're growing as well. So again, you have to take both into focus, but expect that number to continue to go up. We're hearing a lot in the news about extraordinary measures and what that means. And frankly, I'd like to cover what that means. You'll hear Janet Yellen talking about what that means. Basically, the Treasury Department can prioritize payments. They may suspend payments to employee savings programs. In essence, they're not funding some future payments. Think of things like pension plans. When you put money in a pension plan, the payoff is a long time in the future, right? So what they're doing now is they're not funding that. They're not putting that money in now. Then once the debt ceiling is raised, they'll put that money back in there. That's the main thing they're doing. They're not funding some different things like civil servants, some other government services. They're not funding them right now. That's a temporary solution. They'll refund that back to normal, just like an underfunded pension plan. It sounds scarier than it actually is. The cartoon portrayed actually tells it pretty well. They'll kick the can down the road. They will extend things in the near term while they make assumptions for the long term. Holding back payments always sounds draconian, and that sounds worrying, really, If they get this resolved and they figure out a compromise solution, they can just issue enough debt to cover it. And so that's what they're banking on right now to say we can temporarily do this because there's nothing due immediately and they're not missing a paycheck. When people start missing a paycheck, that's when things get real. The next thing I want to cover is the S&P 500 performance during other times that this has happened. And really, I'm not going to spend a lot of time going through this aggressively, but we had have, we have had some reactions and usually the reactions are in that five to seven percent range, which is again what we think about as a normal correction in overall markets. There's always a concern out there that it's going to be the next big thing for the markets. Debt ceiling limits are certainly a part of that conversation 
and we've experienced 5 to 7% corrections in the past as a result of this. Could it happen for this one? Absolutely. There's no question that we could see some correction. As a matter of fact, what tends to happen, unfortunately, is the politicians tend to use the stock market as a barometer of how worried people are. So if we start to see a pretty big correction, and that could happen, the politicians will react. They'll say, oh, we better get to the table because people are actually now starting to really worry about this thing, and you're seeing it through the numbers. So again, it's entirely possible that this could happen, but it's also entirely possible that at 4 o'clock today, they have a resolution. So all of this is very fluid right now. And trying to make an investment thesis or an investment process around these numbers is incredibly difficult to do and not something we're even trying to do on our side. So I want to go through some of the possible consequences. Again, let's go through some bad case scenarios. I say bad case scenarios because I prefer not to refer to them as worst case scenarios, just some possible consequences if the U.S. debt ceiling is not raised. Some government services could be cut back. Things like the National Park Services may take a hit or other organizations like that that get checks from the federal government. What most people tend to laser focus on is what happens to Social Security and Medicare. Those would be big cuts, but don't worry, these there isn't a politician out there that wants to be associated with that. It would be political suicide. If people are missing their Social Security checks, something is going to happen really quick to resolve it. That would be that would be a worst case scenario and somebody's feet would be held to the fire there. Another big impact would be in the overall market, right? You know, always talking about the full faith and credit of the U.S. government behind bonds in the stock market. And so if that would default, I think, you know, we could get a downgrade on our debt, which would cause debt for premiums to go up, which costs a little higher. Interest rates, which we talked about, that bubble earlier, the 6% of the overall debt, as it gets bigger, that gets bigger. And that's something we don't necessarily want. Lower interest rates, smaller bubble, that gives you more money for discretionary things. So that could be a possibility as well, but there could be a lot of volatility in the market too. If the market really thinks we're going to be in default, we can see a rapid market sell-off. As I touched on earlier, if that happens, I think the politicians will quickly realize we need to fix this. We need to raise the debt ceiling. If they just move the number up, even for the temporary solution, that puts people at ease. And then as we get the budget resolved going forward, that continues to work. The biggest thing at the end of the day, no one wants to see Social Security and Medicare issues. No one wants to see that. But I think we have to consider it as a very remote possibility. It's a very minor potential that it actually happens. We hope that absolutely, that they absolutely come to the table and get something resolved well before that occurs, but it is a potential down um, the road. So we always want to be cognizant of that. I think the market would react very negative there. It would certainly be a very difficult response to that. I think the politicians are aware of it. I would assume they're aware of that, and this is, to an extent, political theater, up until a point where they have to make some really difficult decisions, which we're getting closer and closer to. In summary, 
Again, I believe the debt ceiling will be raised and it's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of what happens as a result of that. What are the compromises that come from that? And we don't know what those will be. We'll see. It's simply a wait and see game of how it happens and we'll see how long it takes. But eventually we believe that occurs. The clock is definitely ticking. There's no question about it. We're starting to compress to get to where the market is having more and more concerns about this. For now, the market reaction has been muted, I would say, thus far. When it really does get panicky, don't worry. At that point, if there really becomes a concern that we're going to miss Social Security, Medicare, and these kinds of things, well, one, we're going to have a really interesting election in a couple of years if we start missing those payments. But to the other component of that is the market will react in a pretty aggressive fashion as a result. We don't think that in this scenario that that will be the case. We think that's actually a really low probability and the market hasn't paid any attention to it yet. And that's why the markets haven't done anything because they think it's just another kick the can down the road situation. Don't get nervous about it yet. That's the biggest thing I would say uh, take away from this too is that to understand what the concerns are. Understand we're going through what we're going through and understand that a lot of this right now is just going to be noise. It's political posturing and those kind of things that we really have no control over. But we, what we don't want to do is act irrationally in our own portfolios and the way we manage money. We want to still act rationally among the long-term plan that really doesn't usually involve much of this stuff. And so from our perspective, when we're asked a lot about what do I do as a result of this, it's usually, well, understand where you are as an individual, understand where your risk tolerance is, understand all of those things before you take any action at all. Then secondarily, also understand that this doesn't require an action. It's more focused on your individual circumstances, and that would be the catalyst for any actions. Maybe you're just taking too much risk overall, or maybe not taking enough. And if we've had a correction in the markets, and as that occurs, maybe you either consider taking more or less risk, either to get some upside on the, on the other end. The hardest thing to do for investors is to remove the emotion from the equation. That's where we come in. Well, that's all I've got planned for you this week. Until next time, remember that navigating your abundant retirement starts today. I'd like to encourage you to continue our journey of enlightenment and education by subscribing to our podcast and downloading the show. You should consult a financial advisor familiar with the specific circumstances of your unique financial situation before making any financial decisions. Nothing in this broadcast constitutes as a solicitation for the sale or purchase of any securities. Any mentioned rates of returns are historical or hypothetical in nature and are not a guarantee of future returns. Carol Dewey is an investment advisor representative of Perpetual Wealth Financial, a Florida-registered investment advisor firm.